Okay, if you have your Bible, turn to Isaiah 58. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a party and somebody asked me a question and basically they said, what was your, your goal? What was your purpose in coming here? What were you hoping to accomplish in planting a church? Why, why did you choose here? And it was like they were asking what kind of a strategy we had, and I just kind of sat there for a moment, shocked, and dumbly said, we came because Jesus told us to. And we didn't come and scope out Launceston and look at the church situation and say, okay, we think there's a gap here that we can fit in. And we just actually came in obedience. It was Tim and Kate's fault. <laughs> We're going to keep blaming them. But prior to coming, God had spoken a number of things to us. And one of the things he spoke to us and confirmed through a number of other churches that we partner with around the world was Ezekiel 37 about dry bones and bringing life again. We've talked about that. But one of the other things was Isaiah 58, verse 12. And it says this, Those from among you shall build the old waste places. They shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach and the restorer of streets to dwell in. God spoke that to me. I had no idea what that meant except that that was part of his plan wherever we were going, that he was wanting to restore something. Uh, I'm still not sure what all that means. I think it means a whole lot more than we understand. But there's something of his purpose and plan that sometimes gets derailed, sometimes gets uh, distracted or ends up becoming broken down, that he wants to rebuild. And maybe it's in us personally. Maybe it's in the church, but maybe it's also something in the city of a purpose and plan that God has. I don't know. I'm not saying what it is. I'm just saying that that was something God said to us. I think we're going to see many churches planted. Not because we're going to do it, but I think it's God's heart that he wants to see many churches planted, especially as there are a lot of more country towns that have no expression of the church. Churches are closing right and left. Uh, Someone told me a number of weeks ago that about 10 years ago, there were 140 congregations in Launceston, and now there's about 40. I don't know. I haven't, I can't independently verify that, but it was another Christian leader who told me that. I think God wants to, wants to reverse that. And part of that, I think, is the rebuilding of the old waste places. I want to talk about uh, a biblical view of church in light of that. Turn with me to Matthew 16. Lord, you've spoken already this morning that you want to bring freedom. And I just ask that you're able to do that. Lord, that uh, in spite of how I communicate, your spirit's more than able to speak into hearts. We thank you for that. 
Johan, Fiona showed us a uh, video at Activate last week. And it, it really just thrilled me because the bottom line of it was that God's so big that he can use us no matter how unprepared or, or yeah, imperfect. Lance said, God only uses imperfect people. He's got nothing else to work with. <laughs> and he's become really, really good at using imperfect people. So, Matthew chapter 16, from verse 13. Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And he said to them, But who do you say that I am? That's still the question. Who do you say, Jesus? Not what does everyone else say. What do you say? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. <coughs> Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. He's actually saying the revelation of Jesus is supernaturally revealed. Flesh and blood is natural. He didn't just figure this out. He didn't just see something. There was some supernatural revelation. Why is that? Because... In the natural, they're expecting something totally different from the Messiah. They were expecting a political leader. They were expecting someone to come and overthrow the Roman rule. And Jesus came with a whole different thing. And in the natural, they, were, they would have missed it, except that God revealed something to Peter. Supernatural revelation. And Jesus goes on and says, I also say to you that you're Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. He's not, it's not a play with words about the name Peter. It's actually the rock of Revelation. The Catholic Church came back about 400 years later and made a point that there was a split in the church between East and West, and the Western church was trying to say they were the official church, and the Eastern guys, which became the Greek Orthodox, weren't. And so they were basically saying, our our authority goes all the way back to Peter, but it was like 400 years later that they actually said this. Okay? That wasn't what Jesus was saying. He was saying, on this rock of revelation, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. The first time the, the word church is used, and I love it. Jesus says, I will build my church. The only thing I can find in the Bible that Jesus is building on earth is his church. And he says, I will build my church. It's his church, it's not our church. It's for him, it's not for us. It's not our preferences, it's his. We exist for him, he doesn't exist for us. Somehow in the last 20 years, much of the church has got the focus wrong and it becomes all about us and all about our being blessed and all about our being fulfilled and all about our God, how much God loves us, and he does. But we exist for him. We're not the center of the universe, he is. Yet there's something that the message has kind of gotten twisted a little bit that it's almost like I'm the center of the universe and everything revolves around me. You all exist for me. 
He goes, no, no, no. And this church will push back the powers of darkness. The church. That's interesting. We have an authority in Christ, but there's something about us together that will push back the powers of darkness. See, sometimes we think it's, it's all on us. I can do it all on my own. It's me and Jesus. I don't need anyone else. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. I always do that. And it's this church that will become his bride. Now, when Jesus said, I'll build my church, what they heard was different than what we hear today. 2,000 years later, we have a whole history and a whole perspective that they didn't have at that point. Okay, they had a simple understanding. Even the bride of Christ concept, they didn't hear that until much later as God revealed more. What they heard was something very simple, and I'll talk about it in a minute. That's why I want to talk about a biblical view of church. I've talked to a number of people in the last few weeks, and I found a whole lot of people who've redefined church, mostly because of reaction to excesses. What do I mean by that? They've been in a place where there's a hierarchical leadership, so they swing the pendulum to the other side and say, there's no leadership. Rather than, what does the Bible actually say? Or a place where the focus is all on building, so they swing the pendulum to the other side and say, can't the church meet under a tree? Someone actually said that to me a couple weeks after we moved here. Can't the church just meet under a tree? I said, of course. Does all over many places in the world, but Why? It's uncomfortable. It's cold when it's cold, and it's hot when it's hot. We partner with churches around the world. We're part of a, a team called New Covenant Ministries International. And uh, the guys on our team move into all kinds of nations, about 106 nations. And in Africa, there are many, many churches that meet under trees. That's not what they want to do. <laughs> That's because they have no other choice. Can the church meet under, under a tree? Of course. But why? <laughs> because we tend to see the problems, and rather than going back to the word, we tend to react and go to something else. Tim said something this week or last week that I thought was fantastic, so I'm going to quote him. This is a Tim Oliver quote. It says, we want to be united around what we're for, not united around what we're against. So that's why we want a biblical view of church. We don't want to be in reaction. We want to say, okay, what does Jesus say about the church? So when Jesus says, I will build my church, the word there, most of you would know, in Greek is ekklesia, and it literally means called out ones. It was an assembly of people, uh, a gathering of people. It's when the citizens came out of their homes and gathered to have some sort of civic meeting is what the, the term meant in the, the secular world. And Jesus kind of co-opted that term and said, I will build my gathering of people. So when he says it, he changes the focus. It's about him, his church. 
So basically, what he's saying, and the definition of the church that they heard, was a church was a gathering of people, followers of Jesus. You guys all know that. We're, we're, I'm, I'm, I'm laying the foundation so we can get to this. Uh, some important things. Having heard that, you know that the church is not a building. Somewhere we got to this point where we built buildings and we called that the church. There's a tour of churches in Launceston. And you can go see this church and that church and this church and it's buildings. So we've somehow subconsciously changed the definition from people to buildings. Now, we, most of us, if you're here, you know that that's not the case. The church is not a building. It's nice that we have a building to, to meet in, but Albert Hall's not the church. You're the church. The people next to you are the church. Okay? Can we meet it in the park? Of course we could. When Mary and I were in university, we actually went to a church for a little while that met in the park. It only lasted for a little while because in Southern California, there's no rain in the summer and there was no problem going to the park in, in the summer. But when winter came and it got cold and it got rainy, nobody wanted to go to the park. So the church of the park just kind of shriveled up. They actually moved somewhere else and it was no longer the church of the park. So that was their name. What happens if you're not meeting in a park? The church is not a building, but the church is also not an organization. Okay, there's also a misunderstanding that somehow these big denominations become associated with the church. And so this is the Catholic church. And so it's an organization. So we hear things about people trying to protect the rep reputation of the church. And they're actually talking about an organization. None of us have any reputation, so there's not much to protect. Right? When we say things like that, we're talking about organizations. I know that you're with me. Just be patient for a moment. Church is not a nebulous phantom movement. It's actually people. People say, I'm part of the body of Christ, the church out there. They had no conception of that. It was actually people. If you're part of the church, you're connected with people. As difficult as that is sometimes. <laughs> sometimes we like the idea of just this phantom movement. The church is not a service. It's not an hour and a half on Sunday morning. We say, I go to church. What are we actually saying? We're saying, I go to this hour and a half service where we worship and someone teaches. And, and uh, so we're going to limit church to that. Now we can gather together and we do that. And we're the church gathering together, but that service is a church. You still with me? Okay, why am I saying all this? Just to throw you for a loop. I actually just want to get on record what we are. Turn with me to Acts chapter 2. I want to read a number of scriptures about the church. I want to make some conclusions at the end. Acts chapter 2, from verse 41 
So that those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine or teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayers. The fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Pardon me. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Chapter 4, verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. Chapter 5, verse 12. Through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Verse 42, and daily in the temple and in, house, and in every house they did not cease teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. I'm going to give you a whole number of these and then draw some conclusions from them as we say, so turn over to chapter 12, verse 12. So when they had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. This is the story where Peter gets out of prison and comes and knocks on the door. And Rhoda comes and answers, and she says, oh, Peter's there. And they said, no, it can't be Peter. He's in jail. You know the story. A friend of mine once said, uh, what's amazing is that they were there praying for Peter to get out of jail. And Jesus can work even when we pray without any faith, <laughs> if we pray, because they had no faith, because when he got out of jail, they didn't believe it. I'm sorry, I got distracted, sidetracked. Chapter 14, verse 23. So when they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended to the, the Lord in whom they had believed. Focus on him. Interesting, someone actually said, well, this were, they only appointed leaders in the churches that were in uh, Asia, which I've never heard before. I was reading a book somebody recommended to me, and I went, but Paul writes about elders to Timothy, who is in Ephesus, and he tells Titus to appoint elders in Crete. And so what this guy was saying, that every church doesn't actually mean every church. It only means every church in Asia. I have no idea why you would have that interpretation, except that we've, if, if you end up that, you've probably ignored the rest of the Bible. Uh, chapter 19, verse 9. A couple more, and then we'll make some, uh, some conclusions. And when some were, were hardened and did not believe, but spoke evil of the way before the multitude, he departed from there and withdrew the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Why do I want you to see that? Because I want you to understand 
some things about what the, where the church met, what the church did, and why they did what they did. Okay? Two more. 1 Peter chapter 5. Are you there already? I always feel very slow when they get there so much quicker than I am. And the elders who are among you, I exhort, I who am a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also partake of the glory that will be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God which is among you, serving as overseers. Not by compulsion, but willingly. Not for dishonest gain, but eagerly. Nor as being lords over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that does not fade away. And then one more. Back to 1 Corinthians. Chapter 14. In verse 26. It says this. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you, has a psalm, a teaching, a tongue, a revelation, an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. There's 40 one another's in the New Testament. Okay? You can't do one another's unless you're with one another. Okay? You can't care for one another or instruct one another or bear one another's burdens if you're separated yourself. So, three things I want to touch on quickly. Meetings. When did the church meet? They met together and in homes. I read a book that said in the early church only ever met in homes. It was uh, reacting to something that, that they were seeing in culture and and what they were seeing, what is an excess? I don't want to go into that, but it is an excess. But they reacted to that, and they picked a few of the scriptures that we read and said the church only ever met in homes. But we read at least five that said they met together, or they met in the temple, or they met in the school of Tyrannus, or they met on Solomon's, in Solomon's porch together. Okay? But they did meet in homes. They didn't just meet together. What did they do? They gave themselves to instruction, teaching and equipping, to participation. Every one of you come with something. To prayer, to community, koinonia, and to worship. Why did they meet together and in homes? Because I think you can't do everything the church is supposed to do in one meeting. We could, but we'd be here for a long time. We'd be giving ourselves to worship and to instruction and to participation and to prayer and to fellowship and too often, see, if we, if we define the church as an hour and a half meeting, then we have to decide what's the most important part that we're going to fit in. Some churches say the most important part is the worship and the teaching. Some churches say the most important part is the participation. The Bible says Both. The problem is, we've defined the church as being an hour and a half on Sunday morning, and that's not what the Bible defines the church as. 
So why did they meet together and in homes? Because it's really tough for a big group of people to all participate. Now, we participate in worship, but I mean as far as sharing, bringing a, a psalm, bringing a, a scripture, bringing a, a manifestation of the Spirit. We're open for that, but the thing is, it's very, very difficult. Now, I did some math. I like math. Prue gave me a really great book called Quantum Glory. It's quantum physics applied to the manifestation of the spirit. Uh, yeah. I'm about halfway through, which is the whole quantum physics half of it. I haven't quite got to the other side yet. <laughs> Thanks, Prue. So what was I saying? I totally lost my train of thought there. Yeah. Yeah, we can't. Uh, so I did some math and figured, okay, if, if a church were 400 people and a couple people, two or three every week could share something, we'd be four years before everyone got a chance. So your chance only comes around every four years and you better be ready. <laughs> I was in uh, Eastern Germany just a couple weeks after the, the wall came down ministering in some churches and learned from these guys that uh, they, they, in Eastern Germany before the wall came down, they only sold cars that were made in Eastern Germany or Russia. They were called Trabants. They were little, had a little motorcycle engine. The, uh, the body was actually made out of uh, paper mache. But these cars cost in their uh, exchange rate, in their money, a huge amount. So people would put their name on a waiting list and wait 13 years to buy a car. And they have to save up the money so that when their, when their time came, they had to have, there was no finance. You had to buy it all. So I was thinking of church like Eastern Germany. 13 years from now, you get a chance. <laughs> you better be ready. Because if you don't have the money, your name went back to the bottom of the list and you had to wait another 13 years to get your chance to buy a car. So if you miss your chance... Other thing I'm not going to talk about uh, this morning, not much, is leadership. There seems to be leadership in the church. That's a whole bigger picture, okay? But as I see the Bible, leadership is team. Jesus is the head of the church. I'm not the head of the church. I want to tell you, I don't lead this church. Jesus leads the church. And he does it through a team, a team of elders and deacons. I have the privilege of being a part of that and leading the team, but I don't lead the church. I didn't plant this church. Our son leads a, a church that we had had the privilege of being a part of planting in Melbourne. And uh, we were away and came back a, a couple years after having been away, and he was introducing me. And my illustration gets a little bit messy because I actually am his dad. But he introduced me to church and said, you know, I want you to know this, my mom and dad. These, this is the father of the, of the work. And these guys planted this church. And while I understood his heart, when we got up, I said, unfortunately, I need to correct what Matt said. His heart was good. But there is no father of the work. That's not a biblical concept. And we didn't plant the church. Jesus did. And he used the whole team of people. 
yet we have this hierarchical view of leadership or this celebrity thing that affects Western culture. And so we're trying to identify a person. Who's the celebrity? Who's, who's the, the person that gets the credit? Not Russell. <laughs> My name is Russ. My real name is Russell. My mother called me Russell whenever I misbehaved. So that was my wife saying, you're misbehaving now. <laughs> Leadership is team. Why is that? Because Jesus is the head. And we're hearing what he says. I'm not the head of this church. I'm not determining where we go. I didn't come here with a strategy except to hear and obey. These guys were already here. So who planted the church? I keep blaming them. <laughs> What's their idea? And these guys, they were already here before we got here. So how do we get the credit? See, we think hierarchically, and it's so part of our culture that it affects everything we do. And it's so hard for us to break free from that. That's why I, I'm very, very hesitant. You'll never hear me say that I lead the church. Because I don't. Jesus does. I lead the team that leads the church. Jesus leads the church through a team. I get to lead the team. Well, what does that mean when you lead the team? Hey, guys, let's meet on Thursday night. <laughs> really simple, huh? <laughs> See, the hierarchical model says the person at the top has got to be the best at everything. I was made very clear to me a couple times this week that Kate is the best preacher that we have in the church. <laughs> she is the, the, the most anointed. Somebody was listening, went back and listened to all the past sermons. They said that they just came undone when Kate preached, and there was such an anointing, and she was absolutely the most anointed. <laughs> and, and I agree. Okay? I don't have to be the best preacher. <laughs> She's preaching in a couple weeks, and so all the pressure's on her again. In a few weeks. What am I saying? I'm saying we've got to get back to a biblical view of church. Too often we get hurt because we have a wrong image, a wrong model. And we react to that and we swing the pendulum rather than get back to the, the Bible. See, the answer to abuse is not no use. It's proper use. The answer to abuse of the manifestations of the Spirit is not to rule them out and say there's no place for the Holy Spirit to move because someone did it wrong. The, the answer is let's get back to the Bible and do it right. That's why we have a wonderful class called Activate. We're learning how to do it right. If you're not part of Activate, you miss out. Next time. So what do we do and why? On Sunday when we gather... We have a focus on worship and equipping. But we also meet in home groups where we have a focus on prayer and participation. If you only come on Sunday, don't complain that we don't have enough opportunities for you to participate. We do. It just might not be Sunday morning. The first Wednesday 
of each month, we gather together to pray together beyond ourselves for the nation, for the nations, for the city, for what God's doing, a bigger picture. Jesus said, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations. But that's not all that we do. You know, so some churches have defined church as you come on Sunday morning and all you do is pray for the nations. Some of you find it, it's worship. All you do is come and worship. I love worship. I can worship all the time. I cried my way all the way through worship last week. It was just such a, something God doing in me. I just cried the whole time. Because I've been doing this for 40 some years, 50 years. And I'm still overwhelmed by the goodness of Jesus and his grace. Why do we meet when we meet? What are we looking to do? <coughs> Trying to be the church that Jesus is building. Okay? Our goal is not... I, I wasn't going to do this because I don't want to be what we're against. But let me just clarify. Our goal is not growing a church. Our goal is advancing the kingdom. Okay? We're not seeing how many people we can get together to make us look good. We want to see the kingdom advance. I would love to see every church that's, that's following Jesus in this city double, triple, multiply. I would love to see 50,000 people get saved. So we're saying, hey, there, there's just not enough room. What do we do? We need every home. Every, every believer is a leader now. I would love to see that. So what does this mean for you? I'm going to ask you if you'd bow your head. For some years, like, okay, I, I've heard this, yep, I understand, yep, we've met this, this was kind of like a throwaway Sunday for you. But for some of us, I felt the Holy Spirit said that he wanted to set some people free from reaction. That you've seen the excesses, and they are. <coughs> but you've swung the pendulum. And you're in danger of redefining the church something other than the Bible. And God just wants to set you free. He loves you so much. He wants you to be a part of what he's building. What he's doing. There's some he wants to set you free from suspicion. See what happens is when you've been hurt and seen the excesses. You tend to hold people at arm's distance. Yeah, I know that they're going to mess up. Yeah, this sounds good, but I'm waiting for the other shoe to drop. One of the gals was, I was at their house uh, following a connect group, and I wanted to ask, it was Barb Brown, I wanted to ask Barb if she would share something she had shared in the group on Sunday. So I just asked to, to wait till when everyone left, and I said, Barb, can I talk to you? And she just got this shocked look on her face. And I went, what's wrong? She said, nothing, go ahead. <laughs> and I asked her if she would share this testimony, and she went, oh. And I went, what, were you expecting me to do something? She said, yeah, I was actually expecting you to bring some sort of correction, because everywhere I've ever been, when I shared something, somebody had to bring correction. I said, no, I just want you to share it with everyone. But see, that's, that's the suspicion that comes in. We're always waiting for the other shoe to drop. 
Always waiting for someone to disappoint us. You know what? We will. Jesus still works with imperfect people. That's all he has to work with. For some, I believe Jesus wants to bring a freedom to embrace what he's building. There is something, I don't know if you know, and, I, and I'm not prophesying, I just want to share a little bit of what I'm sensing in my heart. There's something of God stirring in this nation. I think the awakening thing that's happening is part of that. I don't think it's all of it. I heard Friday evening, I was listening to the news, and I heard a commentator say for the first time ever in Australian history, we have a prime minister who is a spirit-filled evangelical. And I went, whoa, that can't be coincidence. I have no idea what it means, but it can't be coincidence. There's something that God's doing. And unfortunately, there's people who've been hurt who are going to miss out because of their hurt. They've removed themselves. And when Jesus says, I'm going to, through my church, push back the powers of darkness, the gates of hell won't prevail. Some people are going to miss out simply because they're, they're not connected. I understand why they're not connected. I'm not bringing criticism. I'm just saying I believe that Jesus wants to free some people. And then lastly, I think there's some people that he wants to bring some healing from hurts. I felt even as I was praying this morning, again, I think I've said this before, but I want to say it again. I feel like there's some people that the enemy has robbed the call of God on your life. There's something of a call and anointing. And because of hurts or because of a, a bad model or because of the enemy's actually just stolen that. And I just felt God saying he wanted to resurrect something of his purpose and plan. If he doesn't, he still loves you. But there's people who've been praying most of their life for an outpouring of the Spirit that I think we're on the beginning to see something happen. And Jesus in his love doesn't want us to miss out. So while your heads are bowed, I want to just give you an opportunity before we leave, before we get caught up in the cares of the day and everything else, to just respond to the Holy Spirit. If you have been in reaction, and I'm not trying to convince you that you are. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But if you have been, would you just acknowledge it and say, God, I want to actually get back to what is the biblical view. If you've been hurt, would you just ask God for healing? If you've subconsciously kept people at a distance or had a suspicion just allow God to set you free from that and lastly if there's something that you know that God's wanting to resurrect 
would you just join with? I'm going to ask you in response to him. Not to me, but to him. Would you just say, if God's speaking something to you, would you just lift your hand? Just put it up and down, because it's, it's not about me. It's about saying, Lord, I hear what you're saying. And I want to respond. If that's you. Lord, I want to be knitted in. Wherever. I want to be built together. He says that he's building us together into a dwelling place of God. Are you a dwelling place of God? Yes, you are. Your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But he says something else, that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Is it you or is it us? Yes. I just think us together carries more. Holy Spirit, would you bring healing? All of it comes from the revelation that Jesus, you are the Christ. You're the focus. You're the head of the church. You're the bridegroom of the bride. You're the one that we love. You're the one that that we focus on. You're the one we adore. You're the one we worship. We want you to be glorified. We want to see your kingdom advanced and people come into relationship with you. Lord, where we've had some other focus or where we've been taught some other focus, we just put that aside now. And we say, you're our joy. We want to be a part of what you're doing. Lord, these are probably the most exciting days in the history of this planet to be alive. You're moving across the earth like we've not seen. Sometimes we have glimpses of little pockets of revival, but there are literally hundreds of thousands of people getting saved every single day. There are miracles taking place every single day. And Lord, we are grateful that we get to be alive in this time. We want to be free from the hindrances and the the chains of the past that would hold us back. And we want to walk into the fullness of what you have. Thank you for the privilege. Amen. Why don't you stand?